Videos of people participating in the Ice Bucket Challenge have flooded Twitter and Facebook feeds. The goal of the challenge is to raise awareness and funding for ALS, often known as Lou Gehrig's disease. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we will speak with the Indiana Chapter's Executive Director of the ALS Association about the recent fundraising success and plans for the future. And we'll also hear from a professor in the IU School of Public and Environmental Affairs about the nature of charitable giving. We'll talk about innovative uses of social media and how other nonprofits are trying to replicate the ALS Association's success. And we invite you to join the conversation after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today's topic is charitable giving in the wake of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. We're going to be talking about how social media will factor into fundraising as groups try to replicate the success of the phenomenon of people taking an icy bath for charity. So we have two guests with us in the studio to talk about this. Cindy Wise is here. She's driven down from Indianapolis to be with us today. She's the executive director of the Indiana chapter of the ALS Association. And Dr. Leslie Linkowski is with us in the studio. He's a professor in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at Indiana University. So if you want to join us on the program, please phone 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So thanks for being here. This Thank is, you. This Thank has you. been kind of a wild ride for the <laughs> ALS Association, hasn't it, Cindy? It's been the best ride we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wild ride. So can you sort of take us back and uh, you know explain maybe there may be some people out there who don't know exactly how this got started and how it's sort of taken over, you know, taken the country by storm. Absolutely. Um, as some of you may or may not know, the ALS Association didn't start the Ice Bucket Challenge. It came from a gentleman uh, battling the disease that is currently a, 29 years old. His friends and family wanted to do something. He um, was a uh, athlete, and um, so they started the Ice Bucket Challenge. And it just kind of caught on with celebrities, which, you know, would the greatest thing about it is, is it's a challenge to challenge the next person. Mm-hmm. So they would, it just, it's still going. You know, people are still challenging each other. And um, we've had local celebrities, national celebrities, politicians, uh, just, a, just a little bit of everybody, the corporate world, the individual, and even children in, in some of the uh, grade schools are doing it, so mm-hmm. we're we're very. That's really where it all started. Yeah, I think I even saw one. I was looking online this morning about the latest news on this, and there was <laughs> I shouldn't even bring this up, but there was a little three year old who did it, and yeah. but she said a really bad word <laughs> when she got <laughs> drenched by the ice. It was so, funny. <laughs> right, it was very funny. All right, so so Les, uh, you don't mind if I call you Les, right? That's fine. Okay, so um, <laughs> the uh, that this phenomenon. I mean, in the fundraising world. What do, you, what do you make of this? It's a long history. It's always great to see charities use these kinds of events to raise awareness of their causes uh, and, of course, to raise badly needed money. Uh, the, one of the oldest recorded uh, instances of this goes all the way back to the Civil War. A lot of money for hospitals and other things in the Civil War was raised through charitable groups, and they used to run auctions. Uh, and Abraham Lincoln donated not only copies of the Emancipation Proclamation for these auctions, but also locks of his hair. <laughs> um, we are in a public broadcasting station today, and they are known for 
providing all sorts of things as part of fundraising auctions. Here at IU, the students are now, now that they're back, are beginning to organize for the spring dance marathon where there will be students dancing for a long period of time to raise money for Riley Children's Hospital. And in three weeks, the 15th Hoosiers Outrun Cancer uh, run walk will be held here in Bloomington to raise money for the Indiana University uh, Health Center's Olcott, Olcott Center. Uh, and that's a great event, and I would personally challenge everyone listening to come on out on the morning of September uh, 20th, I believe, and uh, join in this, for it's a good cause, too. Mm -hmm. So this is really well established mm -hmm. within the charitable worlds. What, isn't one of the, the differences in this one is that social media has sort of pulled this all together in a, in a bigger way? Uh, it's a difference because we didn't have social media in the Civil War, I don't think, but you <laughs> never know. Um, the uh, social media has come on stream in the fundraising world in the last 10 or 15 years. A lot of people are using it. It still, though, accounts for a very small share uh, of money raised. Most people do it the old-fashioned way, through letters, calls, contacting their friends in the workplace or on their campus or so on. We estimate uh, that perhaps about probably less than 5% of the over $300 billion Americans uh, raised for charity last year came through social media in one way or another, but it's growing, growing rapidly. It obviously has a lot of appeal to younger people who spend mm -hmm. a good deal of their time in social media. All right, we have a phone call already, and it's uh, Ken who's calling in from Greene County. Ken, go ahead. Hello. Hi. I, I really would like to know, uh, and I, it seems to be a great cause, and I will admit I'm an older American. But how much of the percentage of money that is raised actually goes to research or help as opposed to administration and advertising on this program? Ken, that's a great question. We have Cindy Wise, who's the perfect person to answer this for you. Thank you so much. Um, I can address um, what we are doing here locally, and I know that the national office is um, has a strategic plan and um, a group of people that are coming together that you know they know how to address this windfall. It wasn't something that was as expected. If you'll also um, note that we are uh, rated as excellent a uh, four-star with Charity Navigator, which indicates, you know, that we use our funds um, in an appropriate way. To answer your question locally in the state of Indiana, which I represent the Indiana chapter, our administrative costs are at 10 percent. Seventy-five percent of all dollars raised goes towards our care services, which is programs and services. And if you'd like inf more information about exactly what that means, I'd be happy to elaborate. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. All right, well, basically, 25 percent is going to somebody else. 25 percent um, is part of the cost of fundraising. I understand that. Right. And then um, a percentage of that 25 percent also, uh, 13 of that whole number goes to the national office. That's the percentage of the dollars that goes towards research. Thank you very much. You are welcome. All right, Les. The listener raises a very good question. Unofficially, we have a kind of expectation that no more than 25 percent should go to fundraising and other administrative costs. ALS has a great record in that, uh, and it's been evaluated by objective third-party reviewers. But there are a lot of other charities that are, are not as good, uh, will, in fact, use a lot of the money that they raise uh, for their administrative or fundraising costs. I'm called once or twice a year by reporters who have uncovered a charity that's spending upwards of 90% on fundraising and administrative costs. So basically, um, the donor may, be, may think he or she is giving to a worthy cause, but in fact, they're paying for the fundraiser or for other kinds of expenses. Mm -hmm. Now, there have been new laws passed in Indiana, I say new laws, but probably 10 or 15 years ago, that, that that helped address some of this, isn't that right? Where where if there's somebody who phones you, they're supposed to tell you 
how much is going to Yeah, there are do not call rules, but in fact, charitable fundraising organizations are largely exempt from those. Mm -hmm. Fundraising, uh, just like reporting, is protected by the First Amendment to the Constitution. And so unless you can prove fraud, which is very difficult to prove, there's really not much legal recourse. The best defense is due diligence on the part of the donor. When you look at an organization, that ALS, that lets its books be opened for inspection by third parties and gets high marks, you could feel pretty confident. When it's an organization that doesn't do that, then the warning bell should go on. Hey, I, would, I would think that if a, a caller does make it through to you, that it's always a good idea to ask them at least how much how much of your money is going to direct services and how much is going well, to Well, we have a rule at our house that we will just not respond to a solicitation by phone. The answer we give is send us something. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do the same thing. Yeah. 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 Cindy, just for folks who for some uh, some miracle have not been exposed to the ice bucket challenge, maybe you should describe how it works. Sure. Um, and everybody does it a little bit differently. Uh, and sometimes I think I'm the expert on how it should go, and I'm not. Um, but basically, uh, the individual um, donates $10 to participate in the ice bucket challenge. If they refuse, you know, if they're challenged and they refuse to do the bucket, they're asked to donate $100. So that's kind of where the fundraising piece of it's gone. And then after you've completed, then you're free to challenge someone else. Is that right? right? And that's been probably the fun of it. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers are 855-0811 and 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I should probably get this out of the way right now that I've been challenged and uh, I'm not going to be doing it today here on the air, but eventually <laughs> I will. And, I, and I'm not sticking to any uh, any of these timelines either, but I, I'll get it done. So We have faith in you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, I, I think uh, also I think it's worth talking about ALS just as a disease. You know, this year has been a, a big year for your association. I mentioned before we went on the air, I, I know it's also called Lou Gehrig's disease, and this was the 75th anniversary of his famous speech at Yankee Stadium when he was explaining, you know, that he was the luckiest man in the world, even though he had this dreaded disease. Um, You know, what's this disease do to you? Uh, The disease is probably one of the most cruel things I've ever seen. Um, What it does is um, it actually, uh, the motor neurons uh, die out, which in simple terms, the motor neurons are what send the message to the muscle. The muscle dies out and the person loses loses their ability, whether it's, you know, in the lower extremities or in the bulbar area, which is the upper extremities. Um, They lose their ability to use their arms and legs. They lose their ability to speak. They lose their ability to swallow and eventually breathe. So, you know, they are completely functional. I mean, their minds are intact and and they're a prisoner of their own body. It's just a very, very cruel disease. How is the research going? The research is really exciting. Um, Over the last 10 years, it has exploded. We have identified 10 genes that are linked to ALS, um, and they have actually... um, Two years ago, when I was in um, a research um, update event, uh, one of the researchers, which, you know, made me so excited, he declared, you know, we will find the link to this because, you know, you can find the link or you can find the gene, but you've got to find the pathways. So you have to determine what, you know, what actually causes this, and they still don't know. Wow. Well, you know, with, with all great things, and this has been a great thing for the for the ALS Association, $94 million in donations as of... Uh, 100 million okay, as of this morning. All, all right, good. Wow. This was as of yesterday. Wow. Uh, 100, 100 million. million. $100 million in donations. Uh, but, you know, there's some people that, that there are always some issues that crop up. I mean, this morning I read a story about the fact that the ALS Association... Um, is considering uh, or has asked for a trademark on the phrases ice bucket challenge and ALS bucket challenge. And and I know that one trademark attorney in Washington, D.C. that the Washington Post talked to called that shameful. Um, Less response? Yes, this has been a very contested area. The organization that uh, uh, fought this out was the Susan B. Komen for the Cure, which wanted to get a trademark on the color pink. 
Uh, by and large, I think the courts have ruled that these phrases are in the public domain. They're really not uh, phrase. They don't refer to things that have been produced by a company the way, say, Xerox does. We all use the word Xerox mm -hmm. without knowing that it's actually a copyrighted or trademark term. Mm -hmm. uh, but pink, um, uh, outrun cancer, all these sorts of things, uh, we the courts have generally not allowed organizations to trademark them. This reflects our general view in the United States of charities. Uh, we want as many going as possible. We want to have it as unrestricted as possible. Mm -hmm. That does open the door to fraud. Somebody could use a trademark, an or an, a phrase associated with a particular organization to do something that's not very useful. Uh, but uh, that's the risk we run, and we count on donors and, to some degree, people like the state attorney generals who have the regulatory authority here to police that. Mm -hmm. Cindy, how does the $100 million so far and counting yes. yeah. compare to a typical year of fundraising for ALS? Uh, last year at this time, $2 million. So okay. That, that That's pretty astounding. <laughs> now, before the show, I said, you know, this must be almost as much of a burden as it is a blessing because of the scrutiny uh, that ALS Association is going to receive is going to be so intense. And then uh, uh, ongoing because right. it has so many people are keenly interested now, It's which is a great thing. But also, I do think you're going to be under a microscope. But you had a very strong response to that. I do. And I can tell you. Um, many things about that, but one, we're just happy people are talking about it, first of all. Um, I have gotten several calls from people that, you know, shared their concerns at what, in what every, ever area that might be. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of it had to do with, you know, what, what do you guys do for people? Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you that I get so excited about sharing what we do that a couple of people had to stop me and say, I get it. Okay, you know. Um, so I'm I'm okay with that, and I know the national office is okay with the scrutiny because we have nothing to hide. We we do great things for people, and the blessings that we have are that people come back to tell us the impact we've had on their life. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so give us some examples. Like, what kinds of things do you do? I'd love to tell okay. you. Okay, <laughs> I know. Um, well. I, I will just share something, first of all, and then I'll tell you what we do. Okay. Uh, a gentleman who took care of his mother-in-law, he was a caregiver for his mother-in-law, him and his uh, wife, um, she lost her battle. And he came and spoke for us one time, and I'd never heard this before. And he said, you know, um, getting the diagnosis of ALS is like being in a little boat out in the middle of the ocean all by yourself. And then all of a sudden this big ship comes along. It doesn't change your direction, but it's a calming effect of knowing someone's right there beside you. And mm -hmm. and I've used that since then because it, it feels good to know that that's what we, the impact we have on people's lives. Um, the thing that probably has the most impact is our equipment loan closet. Um, we have um, a company that is our presenting sponsor and supporter of our loan closet, Home Health Depot. Mm -hmm. They actually store all of our equipment. Uh, this equipment is donated or purchased, um, the majority of it donated, and they help us keep it um, repaired, cleaned, and delivered, picked up. So when someone is diagnosed and they need even a motorized wheelchair, mm -hmm. uh, a rollator, a, a bedside commode, a shower chair, whatever that piece of equipment might be, if we have it in our closet, um, all they have to do is ask or, or let us know that that's something that they need, and we have it delivered to them. There's no income requirement there. Mm -hmm. It's just the need. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, a new nutritional supplement program that we're working on. Um, we had it in the past, but it wasn't as robust, and we most recently got a grant from Walmart to kind of help build that out. Well, this influx of dollars will really help sustain that and grow it to the, the magnitude we wanted, but I don't know how many of you people know that with ALS, um, people lose weight rapidly, and the weight loss is um, has an impact on the sustainability of life. Mm -hmm. um, one of the researchers spoke this last May, and he indicated that people in the United States actually live longer because we're heavier. Um, so we decided we'd build out our nutrition program. These 
individuals that are battling the disease, they need a high caloric, high protein diet. We want to educate them. We want to provide resources. We want to provide um, even home deliveries to those people mm-hmm. that are homebound and don't have the support system like some people do. So, uh, again, we have support groups. We have um, three care services uh, staff. We are small staff, but we have three care services staff who are licensed social workers. They work in our ALS certified clinic. Uh, they do home visits to help with assess their needs. They help them navigate Medicare, insurance, um, and those are just some of the programs that we have. Mm-hmm. Les, do you want to respond to? Yeah, and there there is going to be a, a, a big management challenge for ALS, and it's on one that all of us as individuals can understand. All of us have things we'd like to do or buy, but we have to set priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, some things are going to be more important to whatever we're trying to do than other things. And the same is true for organizations. Uh, years ago, a poetry magazine in Chicago received a $100 million windfall uh, from a donor and really didn't know what to do with it. Putting out a poetry magazine is not a very expensive proposition. It's more money than they knew what to do with. So they began adding programs, including sponsoring uh poetry readings on uh, public radio uh, that may or may not have been high priority for them. Well, ALS, any organization, of course, any of us as individuals will face exactly the same thing. If you win the lottery, uh, you get a lot of money, but you also have to make some very hard choices. Do you spend it on all those things you wish you could have spent money on? Or do you sort of uh, make decisions about what's going to be important now and in the future? Mm-hmm. And I think ALS is a very well-managed organization. I have a lot of confidence that their leadership will keep the priorities in front of them with this additional uh, amount of money. The other challenge they're going to have is uh, it's great this summer raising $100 million. Uh, next summer, odds are not going to raise that much. These kinds of events tend to have a half-life. You can do things, get a lot out of them, the first, second, third maybe, but sustaining them is often the challenge. And so the organization, and I'm sure they are, has to keep this in mind as it allocates uh, this funding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So would you say it would be a wise thing then for them to identify a percentage of this and invest it so they have income going forward? They could do that if they wanted to create an endowment of one sort or another. They could, um, there are a variety of things they could do with it. There might very well be a subset of researchers that are doing particularly promising work that they might want to accelerate their funding for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know enough about the organization or this terrible disease to know, but um, um, the org- it's going to be a good challenge to the management. It's the kind of challenge, though, that you'd like to have. Right. It's a happy yeah. challenge. A lot of yeah. not-for-profits out there who would like to have to make these uh, choices, no matter yeah. how tricky they might be. Yeah, we're talking uh, with Cindy Wise, who's the executive director of the Indiana chapter of the ALS Association, and Dr. Leslie Linkowski, a professor in the Indiana University School of Public and Environmental Affairs. We're talking about the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge and uh, fundraising. You know, in the second half of the program, we'd love it if somebody phoned in and, you know, made a challenge on the air after you got drenched with icy cold water. That would be that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be great. Uh, But uh, anyway, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. 
Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're talking about the Ice Bucket Challenge and the changes in fundraising and just, you know, strategies for fundraising and things to look for if you're actually thinking about where to, where to give your dollars. Uh, we have two guests um, with us in the studio. We have Cindy. Cindy's from the um, ALS Association in Indianapolis. And we also have Leslie Linkowski. Uh, I should say Cindy Wise. I'm sorry. Just, right. We're on a first name basis <laughs> here. And Dr. Leslie Linkowski, who's a member of the uh, faculty, is a professor at the IU School of Public and Environmental Affairs. So if you want to give us a call, 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Now, uh, right before the break, Mary Catherine mentioned that a lot of different organizations are always trying to figure out you know, how to raise funds for their particular area. And we have a little clip from uh, our friend from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, Julio Alonzo. And uh, it's about the struggles of smaller charitable organizations that uh, provide essential needs in the community. Well, fundraising is always a a challenge for nonprofits. Uh, there are a lot of really great causes out there that are uh, competing for the uh, interest and support of, of donors, whether those are individuals or, or institutions. So it's uh, it's sometimes a challenge to get your message across and encourage the the support that you need in our realm, which is providing a really basic service like food, there are there are both advantages and disadvantages. Uh, advantages that it, it, it is something that uh, people really understand is a basic human need, and most people are, are willing to, to try and support. Uh, but the other side of that coin is that because the, the recession has gone on for so long and because a lot of people haven't really been brought out of that yet and are still in need of food assistance, we've had to relate the same message for a long time that the need for food assistance is, continues to be high. And sometimes you run in the, into the, the danger of um, what they call donor fatigue and you know, people sort of losing interest in, in that because it has been an ongoing problem for a long time. That was Julio Alonzo from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, and I wanted to uh, to ask Les Linkowski about that, that that whole notion of donor fatigue that Julio talked to. I mean, it is a constant battle for small not, not nonprofits, and also, I mean, the ALS Association is, Cindy said, two million dollars last year at this time, a hundred million dollars this year because of the ice bucket challenge. So, you know, and next year they're going to be out there again trying to raise more money, but you know those who are donors on the other end are being bombarded and this whole idea of donor fatigue can arise. How do, how do organizations fight against that? Well, charity, uh, certainly the, the char number of charities in the United States has been going growing almost exponentially since the 1990s and all of them are seeking funds. Um, and it is certainly true that m most, if not all of us, have been repeatedly asked for support and get tired after a while. But there are a few other things to keep in mind. First of all, donations are actually a very small part of the revenues of most charities. The average charity in the United States gets over 50% of its revenues from one or another form of earned income. The products the, they sell, the services they provide, the kinds of sponsorships that are associated with their organizations and so on. Think Girl Scout cookies for a very simple mm -hmm. example. That provides probably the single largest source of revenue by far mm -hmm. for the Girl Scouts. So people don't always consider this as a donation, but money is fungible, as we say. And if you buy a Girl Scout pack of Girl Scout cookies, it's like making a donation. The other point worth keeping in mind is that uh, ALS is a longstanding organization. It's been around for 75 years. People are conscious of this. But as we just heard, there are a lot of other organizations that are smaller, that don't have the networks, where the cause they're trying to address is one that only affects a very small portion of the population, or it affects people 
who many would have some question about. I mean, a lot of homeless shelters run into this problem, whether, whether you should support them, why are, why are people going to them, those sorts of questions. Uh, and these groups have a lot of difficulty raising funds. Uh, they don't necessarily have the capacity to sell their services or get other sorts of income, and they're the ones that are going to be challenged. They often will get left behind even though they are doing very good work. So fundraising, building revenue for nonprofits uh, is very complicated. It's one of the reasons at SPIA we teach students how to do this uh, because when they go out to work in organizations, they're going to need a lot of the same tools that leaders of business or other organizations use. Now, we should say one of your programs at SPIA is nonprofit management, right? So that's, that's a right. major program over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I want to mention before we go to the phone here, I, I saw online today, you know, one of the this kind of feeds into what Julia was talking about, the Hoosier Hills Food Bank and food donations. Somebody started a, I think it was in India, a rice bucket challenge. And mm-hmm. basically you just you just take a bucket of rice and you hand it over to a food bank or somebody else and challenge somebody to do that. So. Well, there's an entrepreneur here in Bloomington who actually has created something called the Rice Game. And it is a use of social media. And basically you can get online. Uh, take a simple vocabulary test, and when you get the words right, they donate uh, rice to uh, countries that are on, on a UN list of countries that are uh, f- uh, food poor. The rice is actually donated by a company or someone else who's paid for it, and the game is a way to trigger the donation. Mm-hmm. So that's a very innovative uh, approach to so- using social media, mm-hmm. and it comes right out of Bloomington. Huh. All right, we have a Marty from Bloomington. Marty's on the phone. Go ahead. Yeah, this is Marty Speckler. Um, Hi, Marty. We raise money for a number of overseas charities, and indeed, left Lankowski might. The colleague has uh, been one of our donors. Now, I'd like to make uh, one correction, which is to the benefit of uh, raising money. Uh, Generally speaking, uh, charities tell the percentage of their overhead expenses, which are go to administration or uh, to um, uh, the fundraising effort itself. But in fact, for the the, uh, prospective donor, the average percentage is not the one that they should be concerned about. Uh, indeed, the, uh, the figure they should look at is how much of the additional dollar, the additional increment, uh, would go for, uh, for services. And often, uh, charities have to build up their, uh, their institution uh, before they really do too much uh, fundraising at all. In other words... The uh, administration is largely, although not entirely, a fixed cost, not a variable cost. To the extent that that's true, that means that a dollar that you contribute is close to a dollar for the kind of programs that that institution is, uh, is backing. And uh, that's a point that I make to donors uh, all the time, and it seems to me that um, this is that this uh, uh, charity, which is a very worthy one, ought to take that up and, and say to people, yes, 25% on average, but of your money, uh, 95 or 97 cents, uh, will go to uh, actual programs. Mm-hmm. So that's the point that I make, and I think that um, those of us who work in raising money from other generous people uh, ought to make that point more often. Thank you. All right, Marty. Now, Marty Speckler is on the Bloomington City Council as well, so I just want to mention mm-hmm. that, Les. Yeah, I agree completely with what Marty's saying. In fact, uh, among those of us who study this, the 25% figure is not taken uh, as seriously as it's taken, I think, by portions of the public. We understand that organizations at different points in their lifetimes facing different challenges may have to devote more or less than 25%. What we are finding, though, and it is a problem, is that larger donors uh, who do have a, a, a leverage uh, over the use of their funds are making contributions and restricting the use mm-hmm. of those contributions to the delivery of service. 
Uh, and that is a big problem for a lot of not-for-profit organizations. They may look like they're doing very well raising money, but in fact, they can't use the money as effectively as they should. This happened to, of all organizations, the American Red Cross right after 9-11, where it set up a fund to aid the victims of 9-11. And a lot of money went into that restricted fund. But there were two problems. First of all, owing to the nature of the tragedy, there wasn't a lot of work for the Red Cross to do mm -hmm. immediately after so many people just lost their lives. Uh, so they couldn't spend all that money. And secondly, the Red Cross responds to thousands of disasters every year, few of which are as visible as the attacks of September 11, 2001. And it needed to use funds for those uh, uh, disasters as well, but this money was restricted and it couldn't use it. Uh, and it became a large scandal, uh, had national repercussions and ultimately cost the president of the Red Cross her job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember I visited recently an East Coast uh, university, very well known, and uh, we passed a, um, a floral display around a fountain, and the young woman told me that, that who was giving the tour, that that, uh, that was a restricted donation by um, a graduate of the university, and those they have to, by, they're obligated to change out those flowers year-round every six weeks. Well, I guess that's nice, but you know, it's, just... it, it, it's a it's an interesting dilemma to get into. I, I've actually written an editorial or two questioning how someone de designated their money for a usage and gotten pretty nasty calls from the person. It's it, like, my, uh, it's my money. Yeah. I'll give it for whatever. Well, is, there, is, is there ever a situation where where a potential recipient of such a donation would just say, eh. uh, Well, it, there could be. It's rare. But what we do have, uh, there's some evidence there's a growing lack of trust uh, between donors and recipients. I just wrote a, a review for the Wall Street Journal of a book on a famous legal case involving Princeton University in which a donor tried to get the family's money back because felt Princeton was misspending it. And mm -hmm. I've had a deluge of letters after that, including a letter I got just yesterday from some gentleman complaining about a charity in Indiana that took 15000 as a donation and didn't use it as intended. So there is there are these examples as well. It doesn't it's like anything else. A, a few bad news examples mm -hmm. create a you know a uh, impression that goes way beyond the reality. Mm -hmm. All right, on today's noon edition we've been talking about various aspects of fundraising, uh, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge has been our jumping off place, and we've gone into a, a few other areas. So if you want to share your comments or your questions, please give us a call at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You know, um, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge has, has been, first of all, I think America loves a fad. So I think it's kind of nice that we had a fad for, for a good cause and, and that came to a, is continuing to go to a good end. But um, there are a lot of new wrinkles in fundraising, um, crowdfunding. Um, what, are, what are the trends that you see coming uh, or some of the new exciting things in, in fundraising lists? Well, there are a lot of click-to-give sites where uh, Rice Game is one of those where you click and you uh, trigger somebody else's donation. So that's, that's in there. You're seeing uh, use of, uh, of uh, social media as kind of banks to process donations and so on, particularly in third world countries where banking isn't as well established. We're seeing lots of sponsorships and licensing arrangements. Um, there are also uh, uh, efforts to uh, get uh, uh, friends groups to participate collectively in things. One thing uh, today is our wedding anniversary, and rather than invest in whatever the gemstone is for our wedding, what I'm going to do is we're going to donate something to charity. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And you're seeing a lot of those as well. Now, that's not social media, but again, it's... Um, so in honor and in memory, those have been going on for yes. a long time, but continue to be and popular. expanding. Mm -hmm. uh, expanding. I mean, you'll see people who get 
you know, be receive an invitation to somebody's wedding and be told instead of bringing a mm-hmm. gift, make a donation too, and usually giving a list of the bride and groom's favorite causes. Yeah, the last wedding I went to, uh, Habitat for Humanity, got a new drill because of the wedding <laughs> I went to. <laughs> well, yeah, um, another one of the uh, another new area, like in Bloomington, I think it's 100-plus uh, women who care. And so it's just a bunch of people who get together and say, this is the charity we want to donate to this this month. And Well, this these all, all have in com- common to one degree or another, like the ALS uh, Ice Bucket Challenge has in common. They're building off social ties. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving and volunteering aren't individual th- activities. You don't wake up in the morning and say, how do I give or volunteer today, usually? Uh, there are things you do in the company of others. You go into work and your person at the next desk says, you know, I'm taking the challenge or I'm going to go volunteer this weekend and so on. And so, you know, we all these different mechanisms, and that's why social media is so important because of the range of connections it has are ways of getting people to participate with their friends or with others whom they have high, for whom they have high regard. All right, we're going to go to the phone, and uh, Randy from Bloomfield is on the line. Randy? Well, hello. How are you? Hey, we're doing Hi, fine Hi, Randy. Today. Great. Thanks. I appreciate everything you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I only have one question about your research. Uh, okay. You mentioned earlier... Um, is any of the research towards ALS able to be applied towards perhaps finding cures for various types of cancers? And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. All right. Let me try to understand the question. He wanted to know if the research dollars that are coming in will be used for cancer research. Is that correct? Is it? That's what it sounded like, yes. Um, the answer would be no. Right. Um, uh, this uh, disease, again, has had very little promise for 75 years, and um, people have no hope. I mean, this this disease is always fatal. So it's so important that we invest all the dollars that we get and find the most promising research that's out there. Again, I think I shared earlier how there is a growth in ALS research. Um, and as many of you may or may not know, even one drug, to, to develop one drug, is it, it costs a billion dollars. And you have to have, you know, a partnership with a pharmaceutical company. Um, there are, there's only one drug out there to even start to slow down ALS. And that drug works for about two months. Oh, my. Um, so we feel that we owe that to the ALS patient who has had nothing for the last 75 years since Lou Gehrig gave his famous speech. So I appreciate, uh, you know, I've been touched by cancer myself. I appreciate all the dollars that go into cancer research, but these dollars will be spent to find a cure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right, certainly in one way. But another way, as we we learn things about this particular disease, there may be implications within the medical community for other diseases. I know, and Mary Catherine, you're the expert on this. This is true on diabetes. Research, for example, on juvenile diabetes will actually you know, have implications for adult diabetes okay. and vice versa. So, I mean, I think research in any medical a problem like this does have the potential to spill over into other diseases. I agree, but I think it would be more geared towards motor uh, neuron neurological diseases that any research for ALS would benefit. Mm-hmm. Well, and also with organizations that are fundraising for things related to disease, um, they often they have to make a choice. Are we going to focus our fundraising efforts on research and cure or research and treatment, or are we going to focus our fundraising efforts on direct patient care? Right. So that's a kind of a philosophical choice, and oftentimes one disease will actually have two fundraising arms or two separate organizations, one group that's raising money for patient care, direct patient services, and then another arm that is raising money for research uh, going forward and, and uh, trying to eradicate the disease and, and find more effective treatments. And I think it's fair to say that the American Cancer Society does quite well uh, in fundraising, has very strong fundraising. And if anybody wants to, if Randy wants to join less in three weeks at the Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, then yeah. that 
you know, that would be another way to uh, to donate some money to cancer. Uh, Cindy, I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind, how you got involved with the ALS Association and just sort of give us a, a sense of, you know, what you do up there, too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've told this story many times, is that um, – I, when I went to work for the American or for, for the um, ALS Association, it was strictly a change of job. Mm-hmm. I had very little. I had some knowledge of ALS, not a lot, um, but I liked the challenge of it. I mean, it was a small nonprofit that really needed a boost. Um, they needed to diversify their fundraising, and they just needed they needed a boost. Um, so my first day on the job, I was told show up downtown at the news station. You're going to be interviewed live, 5.30 in the morning. First, first, day, on day, the job. On the first job. day on the job. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I showed up. Long story short, my program manager took took the interview because they wanted me to explain ALS, and I wasn't quite there yet. Um, but I met a gentleman that was part of that interview who has had such a huge impact on my life, him, him and his whole entire family. He was so um, good to me and and explained the disease to me, shared his journey with me. And, you know, I just fell in love with the entire family. And I knew that day why I was at the ALS Association. It really didn't have anything to do with a change of job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I wanted to mention also, unless you certainly can help us out with this, I mean, there are a lot of tips for how to do fundraising well. Uh, I was looking at Entrepreneur Magazine this morning, and they had uh, six different uh, reasons why this particular ice bucket challenge is doing a good job. Identify the goal or the cause. I mean, this has been very specific about ALS, mm-hmm. and I think people are much more educated. Make it fun and easy. Um add immediacy to it so you know take this action now and then you know do this in 24 hours yeah i don't want to pick on you but there actually yeah, is right, supposed uh, to be a timeline oh, yeah, on okay, this. Yeah. you do <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to pick on me? understand the power of multiplication which is an interesting way to do it and share on many platforms and then give participants a chance to feel good about themselves so that's what entrepreneur says you no, I agree completely with that. Um, a lot of people, uh, even in the nonprofit sector, think that fundraising is a chore. Um, I have a colleague who teaches a fundraising course regularly to professionals, and he begins each session by going down all the ways in which people have spoken about fundraising, getting blood from the stone, passing the begging bowl, and uh. so on. Uh, there, I've been on other interview shows where people have criticized celebrity involvement in fundraising. Why do I need George Clooney to tell me what to give money to? Well, of course you don't. But it's also, we all know that the more motives, more interest you create in anything, whether it's providing support for an organization or just um, going to your kids' schools or, or taking my classes, the more reasons you give people to do it, the more likely they are to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think that fundraising, uh, it is difficult. There's no question about it. Uh, but if you think it's a chore, then what you're basically saying is the work of the organizations that benefit from the money raised is not very worthwhile. It's just Mm -hmm. a burden. Mm -hmm. If you want to see a cure to ALS or cancer or better education or anything else, um, we have to raise the money for it. There are no two ways about it. And raising the money, we also become stronger as a society. Les, do you think there's anything more powerful than the person-to-person ask when it comes to raising money for anything I, I agree. No, there's nothing more powerful. We put it a slightly different way, which is you've got to identify with whatever it is you're 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 going to support. It's got to mean something to you, mm-hmm. and it could mean something to you for a variety of reasons. But it still has to be meaningful in your own life. Mm-hmm. So, Cindy, in the ALS challenge, you know, how's that changed, you know, your activities at your office? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot more people smiling every day. <laughs> uh, you're getting a big smile right now. But, I mean, the, the day-to-day work, I mean, you're still going in every day. You're still doing your work every day. I mean, how how's this altered uh, what you're doing or changed what you're doing? It has. Um, we are a very small staff, so it's 
It's added a lot of extra fun hours. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to support people with as much information as we can. We get a lot of calls from people that, you know, are doing the Ice Bucket Challenge. Can some of your staff come and be a part of it? And we really try to support as much as that as we can and still, you know, be able to, to do what we do because we actually have our Walk to Defeat ALS um, in our Indianapolis walk, uh, September 27th. So that's a big walk. We have probably close to 4,000 people there. Um, so that's on top of all the ice bucket challenges. But I would say we just, you know, we all are dedicated and we just put the extra hours in and just mm-hmm. work a little harder, a little faster. When is your walk again? September 27th, Saturday, September 27th, White River State Park. Um, and why invite everybody to come out? That's a week after Hoosiers Outright Cancer. That's yeah. right. <laughs> you know, you'd be in pretty good shape by fall going into well, you know, Halloween you, candy you see, and that's just one, do all these walks. That's, yeah. that's one of those other benefits. You participate in these and your health improves. That's right. <laughs> Mental and physical. Well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I'd like to also say that I think most of the time when you do participate in something like this, and I think one of the points of Entrepreneur Magazine is make it fun. I mean, I do think that the person who is donating oftentimes gets as much out of it as the person, the group they're donating to. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. In fact, sometimes we worry a little bit about that uh, because uh, there are some donors who are willing to support something but will want to know what's in it for them. Yeah. Uh, and yes, within reason, there should be something in it for a donor as well. But then you could take it to extremes. I know one university that tried, I think unsuccessfully, to uh, uh, prohibit the naming of buildings after donors. Mm-hmm. They thought that buildings should be named after people who contributed to the intellectual life mm-hmm. of the university rather than people who simply put up the money for the bricks and the mortar. Mm-hmm. I I think that um, I agree with that. I think that people, you know, people donate and they want to feel good. But I think you have to make it fun Um, with us, with uh, ALS, the disease and the people that are battling it. They don't want to go to something and be sad again. They want something to be fun. So our walk, we gear it all towards positive, upbeat music, games for the kids, you know, food trucks, the whole thing. And uh, we do the same anytime we have an event is you got to make it fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are out of time. So you can be thinking about what uh, kind of fun you want to have with the Hoosiers Outrun Cancer or the LS Walk in Indianapolis or the Ice Bucket Challenge or any number of opportunities that you have to uh, to give back to something in the community and help make a difference. So I want to thank Cindy Wise, the executive director of the Indiana chapter of the ALS Association for thank driving you. down here. Thanks, Cindy. Dr. Les Linkowski, a, a frequent guest on our show, actually. We want to thank Les for being here with us. Also for producer Lacey Scarmana and engineer Mike Pashkash and co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined. Addressing 21st Century Health Challenges with a Multidisciplinary Approach to Disease Prevention, Health Promotion, and Enhancing Quality of Life. publichealth.indiana.edu